0: Welcome to Performance Talks. To mark our 10th episode, we've brought on our closest friend in the industry. Fran D'Alba is a physiotherapist from Spain, currently working in professional football for Labrada Football Club. Before that, he was a huge part of the Team China project as an assistant director and worked alongside me at Kunlun Red Star. Fran is truly a world-class practitioner. And in this episode, we dive into how he thinks when it comes to planning rehab and how his experiences in multiple sports constantly inform his current practice. If you're enjoying these episodes, remember to like, rate and subscribe to keep up to date with all the new episodes and follow us on Instagram at Performance Talks and Twitter at Perform Talks. Now, over to Fran.
1: Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, I've been a huge fan from the beginning and and I'm sure we're going to enjoy this episode and we're going to have a a good time. Just as a brief summary of what my career has been, I'm a physiotherapist from the south of Spain. I've been working in elite sports for for seven, eight years now. And actually, my first year and a half, I was working in in a clinic and in a hospital. I was doing six hours A day in the clinic and then six hours in the hospital for for a year and a half and even though at the moment it seems like crazy for me to to accept that amount of of work uh at the time it didn't feel that bad and and I'm sure it really helped me uh in a lot of things that I that I that I do at the moment and and all that amount of hands own uh, time that I had both in the hospital and in the clinic uh, have really helped me understanding how to treat people, how to uh, manage conversations, how to deal with with situations and and how to approach solutions for all of those. And, but obviously, after that year and a half, I decided that that my path, that the pathway that I wanted to take was more about sports. Uh, in particular elite sports done in clinics and that's why I decided to start my master's degree in sports physi- physiotherapy uh, that was in Madrid with the uh, Universidad Europea uh, and that was a huge step forward because not, not only because the professors were great and the theory was great and I was starting to open my mind in terms of physiotherapy but also because uh, a huge part of the masters was with the Real Madrid uh, football club. So I was going to do a couple of weeks there with the, with the football team. And I ended up doing more than three months with them. So that's, that's where I, I, I actually entered for the first time there, the world of the sports industry and the world of elite sports. And after that, I, I was, for sure, one hundred percent, I knew that elite sports was going to be the thing for me and I was lucky because just a couple of weeks uh, after finishing the masters, I received a call from from one of my mentors, David Diaz, who is at the moment working in in Bar- in football Club Barcelona, and he had talked with the with the um, with the director of the master's degree uh, that I had just done and and he he gave my name out of those sixty people that were on the masters, and that that's great. And he called me because there was a position opening in a in a volleyball club in Spain, in one of the best uh, volleyball clubs in the first uh, league in in Spain. And I obviously obviously decided to take it, and that was that was great because it, it was. Uh, Almost three seasons. I didn't finish the, the third season, but it, w- it was two and a half seasons, and and it was very demanding, just because the team was so uh, used to winning everything, and they had such a great physio right before me. Uh, they they uh, they they were used to uh, excellence, right? And I was going to be the only sports medicine uh, sports medicine practitioner over there, so. From, from zero or from the master's degree to that level of excellence, I had to, I had to go very fast and I had to learn so fast. Right. And, and yeah, actually I learned the, the, the hard way because the first year they were used to winning everything. We didn't win a title and I, and I will never say that it was my fault because actually there were never many injuries and, and the guys were happy with me and everything but we didn't win anything uh, and that's that's the most important thing in the sports industry as you guys know so yeah uh i was lucky to to have a second season there I, we started to win probably i started to improve the the way i was delivering what i was what, what i have in mind and what i what i how i understood my my job and that also contributed maybe for the for the first title and then we had the third season in which we, we won everything. We won the, the three titles. And, and that was great. Um, during that third season, I actually didn't get to see the celebration of the last title because I received the call from China. And this is also because the mentor that I, that I was talking about uh, was going to get this job in China. And, and because he was in such a great team, he couldn't say yes. So he he asked me if I was uh if I was interested in that position in in China. It was through a through a company, through an intermediary company, what I call Good Family. And I said yes. Uh not because I I wasn't enjoying volleyball. I I actually was great then. I, I was every summer going to the to the national team. And uh, So I was doing nine, nine months with the club and then three months with the national team. I didn't have vacation or any holiday at all. But just as, as my first year working 12 hours a day, I had the energy at that time to, to keep going, keep going. I didn't, I didn't mind. And, but I think because of the opportunity of working with the Chinese Olympic Committee, how that sounded at the moment, I had to say yes. So it was pretty sad for, for me and, and for the team and because we had a family over there. But I said, yes, I didn't mind the, the country or, or I didn't mind anything. I didn't think about it too much, really. And, and I went there. I thought I was going to be working in a, in the national center in Beijing. That's what they called me. But you guys know that things change. And actually, uh, on my way to, to the airport, they they called me and they said, Oh, Fran, uh, you're not going to Beijing. You're going to go to Tianjin. So I didn't know anything about China. So I had to search online and yeah, Tianjin, okay, it's not that bad. It's just like an hour away from Beijing. Probably it's going to be a huge center and this and that. But yeah, it it wasn't Tianjin. It was like an hour and a half away from Tianjin. And it was with with the track cycling national team. And yeah changing from from one sport that I knew so much uh because i I practiced it in Spain, like volleyball to to a uh, to another sport that I didn't know anything about it was such a such a huge thing for me at the moment but it didn't it didn't feel like too difficult for me to to get it rolling because uh since day one, they treated me really well, and and I had a strength and conditioning coach from Australia helping me uh, because we, uh, he had been in China for for almost two years, so it was such a great transition actually. Uh, I spent four four months with that track cycling team, uh, three months in Tianjin and one month in in Hong Kong, which was great. And after that, I decided to take an opportunity that came to me. Uh, from the Olympic Committee itself, uh, instead of working for a company as an intermediary, I was going to work for for the Olympic Committee and I spent like a month working there in the National Center in in Beijing, and that's where I met you guys. And yeah, we had this with this this diamond project that I called because it was great to have that project on on our hands for a year and. And I enjoyed it so much, and even though we had some uh, difficult moments, I think it was probably mm, yeah, one of the best years of my life in in terms of uh, how I grew and and uh, the 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 opportunity to be in contact with with people with such a great level in in performance and and rehab and people from Australia that were incredibly good. And, people, and some people from the states and some people from from England, from Europe, that were really good, and they, and they had their approaches to to how they see sports. I think those things really made me grow so much. And obviously, having to deal with 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 such a great number of, of people, because we we were the coordinators, right? We I had the 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 position of director of sports medicine for Team China. And that was for a year with you guys. And, and, yeah, I had to deal with so many situations that maybe two years before that it was impossible. And, and yeah, it was such a great experience. And, unfortunately, that ended up abruptly and, and we had to move on. And that's where I, I was lucky to have Steve <laughs> as my helper. And... And we we had that position. We took that position with the with the ice hockey team in the Russian league, Kulun Red Star. And I was gonna be the head of Force medicine department. And and that's and that's my favorite sport right now. I can say that for sure. Yes, <laughs> wow. yes, that's a, that's <laughs> a So happy to hear you say that. Probably I'm the I'm the first. Spanish person in history to say <laughs> such a sentence, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was great, not only, for, not only for the sport, but also because of the level of excellence uh, from the from some of the players, from the majority of the players, in terms of what they knew about how to perform, how to train themselves, uh, the knowledge that they had, because they were all Canadians and, and Americans, and obviously they, they had a good uh, base of level, of knowledge from from there, and yeah, it was it was great. It was just great. Uh, we had uh, seventy games in in like six months or five months, and and even though it was dense and and intense, it felt so fast for me because I enjoyed every every single second. And again, unfortunately, that ended up uh, abruptly uh, as well, and. And probably the the pandemic situation had a lot to do with that. And, and yeah, I, I finally got to go home and stay home with my family for a while, and that's something that, that I didn't enjoy for, for for so many years since I finished my degree. So that was great. It was two, three months in, uh, living there with my family. That was great. I was studying, I was uh, talking with you guys, talking trying to find some options. And, and finally, I received the call uh, from this football team, Juan Labrada, in the second division of, of La Liga here in Spain. Uh, even, even though it's the second division, uh, it's probably the number seven or eight in the, in the world or in terms of uh, the level of the league. Uh, that means the level of professionalism is incredible. And obviously the contracts are great for the players and, and everybody's expecting, again, excellence from you. And yeah, this is where I am right now. Just,
0: uh, I don't even know where to start. I was, you know, we have, the three of us have got such a history of going back and, and being so close in, in, in our working days and and forming such a friendship. And you said there, like, you're lucky to have me to get that, get you that Cunland job. But it was, it was the number one thing. As soon as I got hired was just like, I've got to bring you on board. So I I think I was the lucky one for sure. Listen, well, before, you, before we, we, I'm sure this is going to be an hour of stories and and not, not much talking about the industry, but before we do that, you mentioned straight away uh a mentor, And we'd love to do that at the start of of each episode, just to to give you a chance to recognize those people who who helped you out. So, um, you know, if you've got any people that you particularly want to highlight as well uh, that have helped you along the
1: way. Yeah, uh, for sure. David Diaz will be my number one mentor. He's never been my professor, uh, but I've been in touch with him since I was like, I don't know, 19 since, since I entered my, my degree. And that's because I knew he's from Sevilla, very close to, to my city. And, uh, and he was famous and very well known in Spain since I started in, in the, the, degree, the degree. And I contacted him. Uh, he, he's not closely related to my family, but he knew my, my grandfather. Uh, for so long because he had worked in in volleyball in the highest level of volleyball he actually worked in in the italian volleyball league for for more than 10 years in the best team in the in the planet and that's where he became such a good physiotherapist and we all know him here in spain and from there he he spent some time in the in some national teams and then he worked he went to CSKA, Moscow, uh, football, football club. He also was in Español, which is a first division club here in Spain. And now he's in football club Barcelona. So he's he's uh, he's a great physio and, and we talk so much uh, almost every month. And he's been my mentor, number one. And he's also the one that uh, helped me take the first job in the volleyball club. And that was the the first phase of my career. That's the most important face obviously, and he was the the one helping me. The other one would be would be Esther Esteban. She's now working in Dubai as in the FIFA Medical uh, Center, uh, Center of Excellence, I think it's called. Um, she's been working there for uh, almost five years now, and she was the the physio working in the volleyball club uh, right before me. So she decided to spend two weeks to spend two weeks uh, with me with uh, in when I arrived in Interwell. Even though she could uh, just enjoy holidays and everything, she, she just started to to stay in, in Teruel and, and helping me helping me uh, starting to, to get to know the the players, the coaches, and the the environment, how to work in elite sports for the first time. Uh, and I've been talking to her uh, quite often since since then. and And in those two weeks, it was like a master's degree for me because it, she 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 taught me so much, and it was just two weeks. So those two would be the the two mentions I would mention.
2: Nice. that um I think that transition and handover is so, so important. oh yeah like you i mean, you you mentioned a number of different clubs that you've you've worked in in a number of different sports and how of how effectively short some of those contracts are and like if you're starting again fresh every time there's no consistency there for the athletes so that's uh that's amazing something we tried Um, actually
1: right when we were in the Olympic committee to to have some kind of orientation and and a few things in play for the for the new guys and i think we we did it well and in that sense. yeah
2: yeah it's just so important to help help establish and set people up for success when they're coming in. But also yeah. as a, you know, if you're an outgoing practitioner, the legacy that you leave is actually the consistency and Correct. ensuring that the next person coming in is able to kind of take on where you left off. Um, I think there's like, like Steve said, you know, we've we've obviously had a pretty close working relationship in the past and so much there to, to kind of unpick. One thing I'm really keen to, to ask about is you, you mentioned there are a couple of different sports and some that are completely new. Obviously, like I know you're now working in football, you've worked in volleyball, which is a sport you're really experienced in. Um, moving to track cycling, I guess you've probably had some exposure to that. I mean, at the very least, we can all ride a bike. So, you know, yeah. you you have some idea of what it, you know, what the mechanics are and what it's like to actually, you know, push yourself on a bike. But then going to ice hockey and how completely Different that was for for a guy from southern Spain, where it's really not, uh, you know, there's not much ice down there. Um, you know, what, <laughs> what, what's your kind of what one? What's your approach to starting with a new sport, and also how valuable do you find it to have experienced working in different sports?
1: Okay, yeah. For the first question, I I would say I I like to approach it in two ways. The first one would be to actually talk to people, talk to the people that are working there at the moment. That's the easiest one and, and probably the most important one. If I find, uh, for example, let's talk about track cycling. I found there uh, a German uh, head coach and uh, an Australian strength and conditioning coach. What's easiest than having a beer or a, or a coffee with those two guys for three afternoons in a row and talk about the sport and keep talking about the sport and keep hearing what they say about it their experiences and, and everything i think uh i think that's the most valuable way of approach uh, a new sport and and trying to to get to know uh how to work in in that new sport and the second way would be to to actually go to the research and and establish a good uh needs analysis of the sports. Based on their research, uh, I've been lucky that uh, on all the sports that I have, I've worked in, uh, that there there is a lot of research uh, about those sports. Maybe like I, I was uh, listening to Matt Jones uh, on the episode eight. I think he was talking that in, in climbing he did, he didn't find a lot of research about climbing, right? And and that would be difficult. But he but he he said the same that I that I uh, that I just said. That he was talking to the to the guys there, and I think that's the most valuable thing. So those two uh, I, ways of approaching.
2: I agree. I think there's a there's a a lot of people now throw around the terms either evidence based or evidence informed. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people overlook the fact that firsthand evidence is talking to people that are there, right? Like that that is a really good source of genuine evidence. Like great knowledge great source of evidence you can draw upon and that is something that needs to be paired with whatever scientific literature you can find like say some sports there's loads some sports there's not very much at all
0: i think Absolutely. it's it's so huge on the the other side of that is whilst you're doing that you're learning everything that you can do about the sport you're forming those relationships so when exactly like, you know, you're, you're part of a multidisciplinary team. So you go in as a therapist. Okay. You're talking to the strength coach. You're talking to the head coach. You're going to have to have a working relationship with, with both of those guys. So you're doing two things at the same time. You're learning it's about the sport, but Yeah. But you're absolutely, you know, you, you haven't just gone in and been like, I've read this book. I know everything there is to know, you know, build those relationships, be humble. And, and it,
2: it's absolutely like said, it's a win-win situation.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I
2: completely agree. And to to the second point I was I was wondering there was how do you feel that learning about lots of new sports and working in different sports has helped you evolve as a practitioner? Like are there things that you learn from cycling and ice hockey that are now helping you in football?
1: I think that also has a great value, right? And and at the moment, for example, I'm working with another with, with other two physios and and they're great practitioners. They're great. And I'm not gonna say bad, uh, <laughs> but the reality is that they've been working in 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 football for for a long time now, like right. And it's only it's only been football since they finished their degree. So they've become such great practitioners, both of them. But it's the, the, the capacities that the athletes, let's talk, about, let's talk about capacities, for example, that the athletes in football have are not even close to other sports. And, 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 for example, at the moment, I'm trying to transfer many of the things about movement quality and, and movement flow that I learned in other sports to football. And it it actually transfers well because at the end of the day is the is the human body moving right, and if you don't have that experience in other sports if you're not able to transfer all those things from other sports to the sport in which you're working in at the moment, I think you're you're missing a lot of things that's that's the the reality
0: yeah i I say that a lot to to the students that I'm teaching at the minute that you You know, all of us, you get into the sports industry because you love sport, obviously, and you will invariably have one sport that you love more than anything else, and that's the sport that you want to end up working in. But so many of the students I see are are like just totally closed-minded and are just like, no, 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 this is the sport I have to work in. It's Mm -hmm. like, listen, you might you might end up there, but you're gonna be a much better practitioner if you go around the houses a little bit. You know, I I was in hockey thinking I was doing a good job. I then go to short track. I then go and do some work with rowing, I, you know, have all these other experiences. And when I've come back round to hockey, it's like there's so much more that I have learned through not working in hockey.
1: Exactly. And you can use all, all that knowledge uh, got from, from, for example, track cycling and the way they, they flex the, 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 the hip, for example, during the first, during the, the starts of a race and you can transfer that that knowledge of uh okay how do they how do they really flex that hip what do they need to be doing uh with their core with their psoas with their glutes when they're doing the action how can i transfer that to the sport in which i'm i'm right now for example i i i i i think i helped um a lot of the weightlifting guys with some of the techniques and the things that I was uh, learning from from track cycling, right, and then in, in ice hockey, same thing. Uh, um, the way they move on the ice, it's not similar to what they what the the footballers are doing at all. But the way they train, for example, the adductor muscles and the groin muscles, is something that can be transferred 100% to football, and and I think that's something that must be at least thought and it need, it doesn't need to be the same intervention you can adapt the intervention but i think there's a lack of uh and this is just an example right a lack of strength in the growing muscles in football okay so i got it i got this from from hockey how can we adapt this to to football and and you try and and, and do the intervention yeah
0: i'm so glad you brought that up because that was going to be a question about mm-hmm. Obviously, in hockey, like groin injuries are so prevalent, and we and we saw them all the time, and we spent a lot of time trying to figure out ways that we could, you know, not see them. Um, I'm in, yeah. yeah, very interested to see how that met- manifested itself, because obviously, when you think about football and you think of hamstring injuries and stuff like that, so yeah. how have the how have the footballers taken to some of those? Um, i I don't know would you do you think you're doing injury prevention like what what's your kind of thought process with that uh
1: you mean now for football yeah like
0: the, the groin stuff that you're doing in football
1: yeah i'm i'm just starting now to to work on it with some of the guys because at the end of the day i was new in the team right and and i like to get to the teams and the first thing is just Observation. I call it the observation process, and that can last from one week to maybe three months because the process here in, in this particular team and probably in a lot of teams in football is well-established and everything is working as it was working uh, five years ago and maybe ten years ago. And in this particular team, the way the, the, the performance team uh, was working it, it was it, it, it's great because the amount of injuries that they've had for the last five years, it's been decreasing and decreasing, and you don't want to get there and mess things up, right? Just because you have a different idea uh, of of everything, right? And that's why my observation, my process of observation in this in this sport has been longer than in the, in in any other sport. It's been just like for I would say like three, four months, just observing and seeing how how everyone was working and what the coach wanted from the players, what the play how the players accepted what they what they did and how they were working on the team, how the strength and conditioning coach wanted the things to be done. And and now I'm actually starting to to introduce some of the things that I've learned. And they're taking it well. I, I I selected some of the players that actually have had a good relationship with me for the first few months because I knew I I was gonna have the buy-in straight away. right? And yeah, I started with the movement flow that I had in in hockey as well. They they are very into it. They are every day doing it. They always telling me, since I do this movement flow and movement quality uh, uh, session, I feel that I can move much better. I feel that I have even more, even more strength. And you know, these things are not really a, a thing, right? It's just that they feel better because they do a different thing, that's all. But it's good that they buy in because now I can introduce as well the adductor, an adductor program if if I want, right? If I, if I feel the necessity of it. Or I can talk to the strength and conditioning coach and maybe talk about how the hamstrings are working or how they're the external load that, the, that that we measure with the GPS is going in one direction or another, right? Now, it's the right time to it. And it's been six, uh, uh, five, six months since I'm in the team. doesn't matter. Now it's the right I, time to it.
2: I think that's a great way that you've kind of described that um, that sort of observation phase and process and the, the slowly um, into, you know, bringing your own interventions and and integrating your own thoughts into the into the program i feel like that's something that comes from a certain level of maturity like i said you you've now been with a number of different teams and one thing that always gets me is um some people come in with just a you know the bull in the china shop approach of like right i'm here now this is how we're going to do things we're going to try and rip it all up and and you you know Steve, you alluded to it before, but like you haven't built the relationships yet. You haven't observed like there's a lot of things that will be going on in a team that are in place for a reason mm-hmm. and do work. And there are some things that are in place because the there was a reason at the time. Now things have shifted. Maybe that reason isn't valid anymore. Or maybe that thing just needs to evolve um, but it does take time to understand that process. And, and I love the fact that, like you said, some, some teams, it might be short, some teams, it might be long. Um, yeah, I, I love that. I've, I've talked a lot about that, that kind of need to, to observe and, and gradually kind of drip feed change as you build those, those relationships. I think, um, I think
1: we have a lot of that, right. In in China, when we were yeah. in China, we, we, had we have a lot of great people coming in with the great, uh understanding of, of sports and, and the, the great knowledge of performance. And they, they arrived in China and they saw a, a level of performance that is not lower, it's just so different. And they, 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 they exploded. They wanted to change everything, right? And, and that didn't work. That never, ever worked, right? Yeah. Because at Absolutely. the same time, it's not only that. China has been successful as hell extremely successful exactly So at least you need to be putting a lot of work in in that uh first phase of observation and and trying to understand how things work before you start uh changing things up
0: it's you know it's amazing this is episode 10 i would say every single coach has mentioned two things needs analysis observation
1: (laughs) we have had we've
0: had on elite coaches in many different sports around the world and everyone is saying the same thing Mm -hmm. you need to do a needs analysis and you need to observe and i think for for young coaches listening you've got to start letting that sink in and you're absolutely (laughs) right you know we and we saw it in china and i wouldn't even say with the young coaches because because it was lots of people and just because you don't agree with something doesn't mean that's wrong. Like you say, if you're coming in to a, to a team that regularly wins world championships, and regularly wins Olympic gold medals, you can't come in in your first week, tell them everything they're doing is wrong and they need to do what you want to do. It just, just, mm-hmm. That's not a way to get ahead, is it?
1: Yeah, because you could be, you could be wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, and that's the most simple way to put it. You can be wrong. It's not that because you studied in a different country that seems to be maybe more elite or or higher in the level of education. I don't know. I don't know how you think about it, but maybe you're wrong and they're not. Right.
0: and And I think we would all look back over our careers, over, you know, the last however many years yeah. and look at programming that we've done at a time when we thought oh that was goodness. right and think, <laughs> Oh my God, what the hell was I doing? So
2: you probably are wrong. That's the, that's yeah, yeah. the truth
1: with it. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah. I think um, like thinking about that, like we obviously just mentioned the, the moving around to different sports. Another commonality that we've talked a fair bit about is the need to move, around the world, like to actually experience different countries, different cultures, like now that you've, you know, you've worked in a couple of different sports in Spain, different parts of Spain that may have different cultures as well, between the, you know, between the South and then moving to the capital now. Um, but you've also lived and worked in China and and obviously in the Russian League. Like how has that cultural experience also made a difference to you?
1: It, it's, it's been just great for me, Simon. Uh, I, I, I know it sounds uh, really like easy and simple, but it's it's been great. It's been extremely easy because since I was uh, ten years old, I, I I really wanted to to travel around the world, and now I now I know it's it's so trendy, right? It's everybody wants to travel, everybody wants to experience all the cultures and everything. But I'm not sure everybody uh, would accept really to to leave a road and and to really. Uh, think into those uh, cultures, right? And maybe my first trip to to America helped me a lot because I was 15 years old, and I have an in- I, I got an internship from the government of Spain to learn English, and and I went to to Oregon in the states, and I was there for three months. And uh, before that even though I wanted to travel around the world and see the pyramids and see the the Colosseum and Rome and everything. Uh, I didn't really know what the, what, what the change in the culture was until that moment and my body and my mind accepted it well. So I knew from that moment that I was made I was made for this. I, I, that was that will never, that was never going to be a, a problem for me. So, then uh, my my fourth year in the university, I went to Rome and I spent my my fourth my fourth year there as an Erasmus student, and it was great as well. So when the opportunity of of China came, it was just great. Man. I I I really enjoyed China. I I really enjoy uh, working abroad, uh, learning from other people because I think that's the most valuable thing: learning from other people. And if you stay in the same place with the same uh, uh, surrounded by the same people all the time, you can be great, but I think you're missing a lot of things that you can never experience if you if you don't go abroad and live the experience not not only go abroad and and travel because for example I went to to Thailand and spent fifteen days in Thailand, and I never say I experienced Thailand even though people like to say that, right? I, I went to Thailand and and so I've been to Thailand. I can check that. Like uh, that, that's a country in which I've been. I don't think that's that's a thing. You have to experience the the culture and the and the country and and if you can maybe live in to say that you've experienced the the country. And I think that's never been a problem for me.
0: It's so interesting, isn't it? I think that you you know we have obviously known and dealt with lots and lots of foreign people working in china so many of them look at you like you have three heads when you say you love china and i think all three of us would (laughs) would openly say we loved our experience in china we loved living there and you say that to people and they just look at you like you're crazy but these are people who who go live in a hotel eat in that hotel, never leave, never do anything. The only trip they do is they they'll go to the Great Wall and then they'll go to Starbucks. Like that's Starbucks, it. yeah. You know, yeah. they do not experience, like I say, there's living in a country, and there's experience in a country. And I think the thing for me was like China was my first experience of living abroad, and it's terrifying on when you're thinking about doing it. And as soon as you've done it, it's just the easiest thing in the world. And there are very, very few places now on this planet that I would not go and, or at least consider going to work in. And, and I would not be apprehensive about going to work abroad now. It just doesn't scare me because I've done it. And, and I think that if you're the sort of person who is really worried about it, it's not as bad as you think it's going to be
2: if you're open mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. yeah absolutely do do, do you think it's something that people in our industry should be embracing more i mean we we often talk about the fact like we all know it's not the sort of industry where you can get a job in your hometown necessarily you can't just be like right i fancy living here i'll look at the jobs in this town it's like you know when you're looking for a job you're looking like you have a broad range of places that you're going to be looking for work Mm -hmm. um but do you think it's you know Something that should be just accepted by people coming into the industry—that ultimately you're you're going to need to be open to traveling.
1: Absolutely, I think it needs to. I think it needs to be in the education of everybody. It needs to be taught in in the university. And, and hey there you Steve. Yeah. That's your job. <laughs> I
0: can tell you right now every single I, my students like eye roll whenever I mention China now because they're just like oh god he's talking about China again.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> but, I can imagine that. Yeah, I've, I mean it's not like I love a story or anything but um <laughs> it is it's so true that that you know we we say that we've said it probably on every episode of this podcast I say it to the students all the time is what you gain from going abroad are things that cannot be taught to you but you go away and you and you have to experience them and you will 100 be a better practitioner
1: yeah absolutely couldn't agree more
0: yeah listen i um i want to first of all i'm going to give you a compliment and i know you're not going to accept it well because you don't accept compliments very well but i got to work you know, we, we did that project at the Olympic Committee, which was cool, but we were mostly sat behind desks, let's be honest. We then got to go and work up close and personal in a gym together for a year. And I would say that you are hands down the best therapist I've seen work. It,
1: it's it's incredible. It.
0: That it's, in, it's incredible the work that you do. Yeah. And I And I often say to people, if you wanted to be, you would be a high level strength coach your understanding of strength and conditioning is I think one of the things that separate you from, from a lot of sports therapists. And I wanted to get your take on that of, of, you know, what have you, how is that knowledge so good? What have you done to make sure that knowledge is so good? And, and why do you think it's so important to, you know, be able to take somebody from, from a treatment table up to a return to
1: play? Well, I'd say, uh, the most important thing uh, for me in that term is that I didn't want to be a, a physio working inside a room and just on the treatment table. That's what made me really want to change. Uh, and that's what I had during my first year and a half and I really wanted to 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 get out of that. And, and then uh, I'd say the word overlapping, is the most important thing here. Uh, I think over the the overlap that that uh, can be seen between physios and strength and conditioning coach is something that gets very frustrating for some people. And I truly I, I, I don't understand that. I really don't understand that. But I, because I think that overlapping between between strength coaches and and, and physios can cost a lot of benefit from for, for the team and for the athletes and at the, end, at the end of the day that's the the most important thing right yeah and...
2: i i was just gonna say i couldn't agree more with that i've mm-hmm. i've had both situations in teams that i've worked with where you know the the practitioners on sports medicine side would just there was a very clear line where their sort of job ended and my job started and other practitioners yeah. where we've had a big, there's been a big gray area in the middle, but the beauty is that the the magic happens in that gray area, right? There'll be exactly. some cases where, you know, that, that physio might be overseeing the overall plan. And we, you know, we sit and have a coffee and we talk about it and it's like, great, great. What do you want me to do with this person today? Because Mm -hmm. you're still kind of overseeing that plan. And there'd be other days where like, you know, or other situations where like I'd be overseeing it and they'd be asking me those kind of questions. Um, But I really think that's being open to that. I think is, um, is really important. Do you think it's an ego problem
0: or do you think like, and I'm not, we, you know we're obviously not talking about anybody specific here but do you is it that people don't want to be challenged by somebody outside of their their industry if you like i don't know
1: i think it's 120 percent an ego problem one hundred twenty percent, which it, is why yeah, we
2: work uh, so well together
1: obviously.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I i i do and i don't i i agree with you that there's definitely mm. a a sort of the professional ego sets in where it's like no this is my job and I know my job um, yeah. but I also feel like there's a there needs to be a level of knowledge and a skill set development that allows you to go into that gray area more and more the more you mm-hmm. feel able to go into that gray area you, you know you're going to be more comfortable having those conversations and working with people and the ego bit is not taking over that gray area mm-hmm, exactly. is not trying to say now that i know this this is now my job role it's no it's now that i know this i actually know what i don't know and i okay. you know i know what i can and can't do within this realm and i know that yeah. this person can do it much better so yeah, i have it. you know that's yeah. it
0: right but that's that's maybe where the ego comes in of not wanting to accept that yeah. someone knows either more or or they just have a different different but I don't know like I said you know I've seen I've seen it done really really well I've seen it done you know pretty horribly as well what I wanted to so so and again like interestingly when when we worked together Fran I can remember us working with athletes where we'd have an injured athlete and they would come in for their session they would work with you on x y and z and then because you do so much work in the gym, they're five steps away, they come over to me and then they do the rest of their program, you know? And you and I are sitting, writing these programs together. And I think for yeah. me, that's an that's sort of integrated essence in sports medicine there. It's just um,
1: having the, the, the right approach, right? So it, I think uh, it's uh, forgetting the sentence, stepping on the toes of someone and just change that for overlapping and, and having that benefit Uh, out of the overlapping factor and and yeah I think there shouldn't be lists of competencies that you have to do 100% and and in your role you need to do this 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 this, and everything out of those 10 things is not your job and in the role of the strength and conditioning coach this, this 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 and the same thing and I don't think that's Beneficial for 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 sports and and it's the same in life, right? You you don't you you don't you don't go through life just with a list of things that you can do and you cannot do. Just go and you just learn what to what what is best for you, what is bad for you, and you just uh, include things in that list or just avoid things that were there before and and that uh, they're not there anymore.
0: Mm. Yeah, I agree. I'm interested to know from you. So obviously Simon and I are strength coaches. We have uh you know been educated in a way that we this is how we think about programming right you know we we think sets reps exercises what whatever it is however you do it are you thinking about muscle actions are you thinking about movements whatever I'm really interested to hear your sort of sports therapist take on it given that I you know I know you're such a good SNC practitioner like when you're starting to work with guys on the gym floor, you know what what's going through your mind when you're planning what you're going to do with them.
1: Yeah, it's it's not easy. Obviously, you have to have you have to have the knowledge, and for having that knowledge, uh, you have to read, and 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 you have to get in contact with with people who know about the the field and. And you have to show interest about it because it's a whole different field, and they never teach us anything about it in in our career because obviously our career is thought to be uh, in a different perspective, right? It's not the strength and conditioning part because for that you guys are the specialists. But why are not why are we not not going to have that knowledge? Is if if we can help you guys with what you guys already know that it's way more what, what, uh, from what we do uh, and what, what we know um, just from learning from you guys and learning from books and learning from courses and, and actually listening to podcasts like, like the one you guys have. Uh, I, lis- I listen a lot to Pacey Performance podcast for, uh, for example and I've learned so much from that podcast in terms of strength and conditioning and I've read I was counting them the other days. I, I, I read like 15 books about climate conditioning, and, and that's a lot of reading. That's, about that's it. more than you, most
0: of my students.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and obviously I'm not as good as, as you guys can be, and I will never be, but because my my field is a is a different one. But I think this level of knowledge will help me a lot de- to to develop interventions in my in my field as well. And we'll help, we'll help you guys understanding what is good and what is not. And, and for example, if we, if we talk about examples, uh, the, the three sets, ten repetitions thing that, that, <laughs> that we always see from the physios in, in elite sports, I think that's so simple and so old and so bad and so bad. And And if you actually know about uh, in terms of technical things, right? If you if you know about the force-velocity profile, if you know about the external load that you can measure, if you know about the uh, strength-speed cure right? If you know about the different kinds of strength that you have to to put interest on, if you're working in a certain sport, or if you're working in a different sport, or if you know how to measure the strength of a particular guy. Uh, and and you see the difference with a with another guy of the same team. And and if you know that, uh, for example, in in football now that that uh, a defender needs to have different strength levels than a than a goalkeeper, right, or a midfielder. Knowing all those things, having a certain level of knowledge. I'm not saying you need to be the best or you need to be a strength coach, right? But knowing all those uh, a certain level of those things will.
2: Certainly help you and help the team at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's true. I um, I love the way you're you're talking about those things and that that knowledge in those different areas. Uh, one thing that I've heard from other other staff, other strength and conditioning coaches and performance coaches, in kind of some of their interactions with physios, are that physios are often too reactive and don't sort of plan as much as we do like our whole job is about planning and you get some people that go too far the other way where they are planning out like i know this guy is going to be lifting x amount in six weeks time you're like you can't possibly predict that because you have no idea uh, if they're going
1: to have slept well
0: or you know what whatever happens Seen a program that's like today you're going to lift 72.5 kilos (laughs) 72.5 kilos okay
2: great that's brilliant (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah so like I know that I know that there's people like within our field that kind of go a bit too far that yeah. way um and there's you know there's obviously a broad range in in the physiotherapy world, but do you feel like the the knowledge that you've gained from strength and conditioning has helped you to kind of bridge that like being reactive to the progress a person is making but still keeping you on task and actually developing things as you as you need to
1: absolutely it helped me so much and and it helped me as well understand that every athlete is different, and you gotta go from there and yeah i think I think it helped me bridge that that gap so much and and I think I'm applying that every single day and when I for example, when we have injured guys, uh having that knowledge really helps me uh, helping that injured athlete to to recover from the injury in a way that it's not going from the treatment table straight to the strength and conditioning coach. But in that huge gap, because it's a huge gap where it's in the middle, in that reconditioning gap, I'm doing strength and conditioning things that could help that athlete get to the level of uh performance that the strength and conditioning coach needs when when he, he's gonna have the athlete. And at the same time, the strength and conditioning coach needs to be with me and helping me and, and knowing in what phase of the process uh, I am, because probably that strength and conditioning coach needs to have some kind of level of, uh, knowledge in rehab as well. Right. Yeah. And, and it's not that the guy that the, the, the injured athlete is going to be in perfect conditions to work for you. You need to be in that process way before that. Right.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, it's it's so key there for me. Again, if you want a a high functioning, you know, high performance team, you you have that overlap. You have a strength and conditioning coach who has an understanding of sports therapy. You have a sports therapist who has an understanding of strength and conditioning. And it goes all the way, doesn't it? You have, you know, you and I had these conversations because I was kind of acting as a strength and conditioning coach and sports scientist. And yet when it comes to looking at GPS data, and, and return to play you and I are having those conversations. So, so now you're a sports therapist, who's crossing over into sports science and I'm a yeah. sports scientist crossing over into sports therapy. So you, you have to have that if you want to be a, you know, a high performing team, I think. That's
2: a, a really interesting example you just gave there, Steve. I was actually just thinking, I would love to hear more about you guys specifically is, having uh, an s c coach and sports scientist and a physio on what did you put in place together at Kunlan in terms of injury risk reduction and injury prevention and how did you utilize the the gps because you gave some really good examples to me when we've talked before steve about how fran you were using the gps data to assess whether someone was ready to return
0: yeah, we we um I mean my number one thing was I got Fran on board. <laughs> that was that was my plan to reduce the injuries. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it was really funny. It was we had a moment we were we were out in a coffee shop. I can't even remember what it was, Habarovsk or somewhere like that and it was like minus 28 outside or something. Um, but we were both just sat in a coffee shop doing some work and I was I was just trolling through some some of the GPS data. Um, we'd had a couple of guys have groin injuries and that's so common in hockey, right? That they are always getting them. And I started looking at this left to right force balance and, you know, the, and the ratios and the outputs and the asymmetries and stuff. And And you start to see these patterns of, well, hang on a second. This guy's had three groin injuries. And every time he's had one, those couple of days preceding that, you know, his, his kind of 50 50 his nice 50 50 balance that he had really started to sway and then he got injured and and now that he's come back and he's okay he's back to 50 50 and then uh, he started to he started to go again and now he's got injured again unfortunately we found that out after the fact that's that was uh, a bit of an issue there but but absolutely it's stuff like that that you know, I think is is fascinating to to. Well, you
1: needed to remember,
2: you needed to have the data collected to be able yeah. to see the patterns.
1: Absolutely, but, that, that's why it's so valuable, right? Uh, and you need to learn yeah. how to use the that, the data as well. It's not just collecting numbers and numbers. You need to spark some some differences and some some things that really uh, alert you. And and in that particular case that, that Steve is talking about, we saw that growing problem. And, and we saw it coming, mm-hmm. we didn't stop it because at the end of the day, it can be fatigue. It can be that the guy, uh, because we didn't have the catapult from the beginning. So it, it could be that the guy just skated like that. Or it could be so many things, psychological factors or so this or that, but it happened twice. So for the, uh, at the third time, we started developing. I, I mean, I, I remember I started working with that particular guy in, uh, in hip mobility exercises, in In growing strengthening exercises in in lower back strengthening exercises, and it didn't happen again it doesn't it doesn't need to be because of the intervention, but there was an a, a, a consequence of of us sparking that with the with the GPS right and that's why it's so important to to collect data and to really analyze it and having sports sciences uh, uh, on board
0: and, and again. Yeah, i was I just gonna say that's that was purely anecdotal you know i haven't found i don't have evidence to back that up i don't have papers behind that that was this is the pattern that we found so we're gonna action something on it and we actioned it and it and it worked that could be pure luck on our behalf mm-hmm. um but but like you say it takes time to understand that and then you can start okay.
1: to, to
2: develop those programs i think i think that's a key thing though um about collecting data there's obviously so much technology around right now and certainly over the last couple of years a lot of things has have become cheaper and more accessible and more user-friendly but it's that you know the ability to actually understand the patterns in the data and analyze the data effectively and then be able to put something in place like you said you might be able to see it with like your kind of coach's eye that something might happen to this guy but having the data to back it up, you you then said like once you'd seen it happen twice, the third time you sort of saw it starting to happen, you were able to action something because you you'd seen those trends. I think that's just such a great example of how um, how this technology and data can work. Have you Fram kind of taken that? element into what you're doing in football now are you is that something you're going to be looking for or something that you're keen to try and explore a bit more
1: yeah we we utilize a lot of gps data at the moment uh but i don't see there is a real uh or a beneficial analysis right of of that data it just collected data for the sake of it and i think we need to improve a lot in in football in, in that term, uh, or at least in this in this particular team. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to to talk to the guys. I'm not I'm not a big a big guy into in in, in sports science, but I'm I really enjoy uh, read, reading about it and, and listening to, to the great to the great ones about it. So I'm I'm really into conversations right now with the strength and conditioning coach and with the reconditioning guy. Uh, in order to to find as you said patterns that could help us identify some problems or or that could help also the head coach developing the 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 weeks and the and the micro cycles, right? And the sessions mm. uh, based on what they they see on the on the data and not just collecting data for, for the sake of yeah, it.
2: Yeah. It's I think um us as us as performance coaches and SEC coaches have the industry and the and the education is very much geared towards a lot more of the sports science and and data analysis. And again, that's that's even more so than it was uh, back when I did my undergrad degree. Is that something that is starting to become more prevalent for physios? An understanding of of data and data analysis, like I know at Fortius. Some of the guys there um, were really happy when we got the, the force frame in and we got the Nord board in because they were the kind of tools that they were very interested in using. But do you think there's a, there needs to be more done in terms of teaching physios about how to use the data effectively?
1: Absolutely, yes. Uh, and I don't think it's big at the moment uh, between physios. I don't, think it's, I don't think physios know much about sports science and, and data collection and analysis but i'm seeing we're moving forward in in that direction and very slowly we're starting to to understand that there is a need for that and as well as 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 i said before uh, having a, a, a certain knowledge of strength and conditioning will help the team having a certain knowledge of sports science and that data collection will help the team and and will help your job as well because as we said before, with, with Steve, with, with our athletes last year in hockey, if, if we would have had a second year in hockey, maybe that doesn't happen because we see those, those uh, sparks, right? And we act based on what we saw the previous year. And that means we are helping the athletes. And at the end of the day, that's, that's the only thing we, we're here for.
2: Yeah, so true. And again, that that kind of goes into that idea that we talked about at the very beginning of the the best thing for the for the athletes is that consistency in in staff and and your ability to kind of grow and evolve the program, but maintain that consistency. I said, Mm -hmm. if you guys had carried on working um, together like that for multiple seasons, you'd have built up all of those trends and that analysis. um, So, so huge that consistency
1: absolutely
2: yeah yeah guys
0: i mean i just feel like obviously we could go on forever i've got i've still have a million questions i think we're going to have to do part 2 part 3 part 4 maybe <laughs> Brand, I, absolutely. I, 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 I know that you. are uh, we're, we're keeping your lovely girlfriend waiting, and you and you have a dinner date. So uh, we'll probably shoot off. Just lastly, uh, if you're happy to do so, like where could people reach out and and get in contact with you, like social media or anything like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm on Instagram. I'm I'm not uh, using it as much as I was in in the past because, for example, with the volleyball team. I was using it a uh, and with the track cycling team as well at the moment. I'm not using it as much, but I'm, I'm into it and people can contact me through, through it. And, and my Instagram is fr- Frankie de Alba with a K and the I, uh, so we can put it online or we can do. Yeah. 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 I'll,
0: throw that, I'll throw that online. Don't Don't you worry all over social media. <laughs> and same
1: thing with the yeah same thing with the hotmail right with the Gmail so I'll okay. I'll, I'll send you the my Gmail account and those two those two ways people can contact me one hundred percent
0: awesome man thank thank you so much awesome thanks uh, so much for your time yeah we, like Sorry. I said it's we'll we'll have to come back for for part two three four and maybe just a yeah. special of us just uh, talking about all the issues I didn't even get to to bring up your 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 that experience in China with the, you know, in the hospital and
1: uh, yeah. You, oh I my God, so many, many stories. I, I think I'll leave
0: these. Yeah, I'll leave I'm these. am
1: amazed teachers, you stayed in China. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I was, if any. I was, yeah. I was, yeah. I was ready for it. I thought it was gonna be my my first question. Really. Okay. Yeah. Let's leave for, the, for the second episode. Fran
0: had the worst experience ever, and he still smiles every single day. So oh, we'll, yeah, we'll have sure. to do one episode of just stories from China, I think. All right. Guys, let's let's leave it there. Fran, just awesome to see your face. Awesome to catch up with you. Uh, Absolutely. Oh, it's been pleasure. a pleasure, guys. Y- you go thank enjoy you so your much. Thanks yeah, so you much for your time, Fran.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Simon. You guys are doing an excellent job with this podcast. I think it's quite uh different in a way and and I i love to listen to it. I'm 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 pretty sure you guys are gonna I going, are going to rock it for sure. 100%. Thanks, man. I
0: appreciate that, man. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Thank you.